Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. My name is, is Bryson. Um, I don't know what your favorite Christmas movie is or if you've started watching Christmas movies yet this season. Um, there, there's one that many of us have seen that I don't even know if I am allowed to publicly endorse, so I'll just show uh, a picture in a moment. Um, but it, it centers around, a lot of it uh, centers around lighting the house up with, with Christmas trees. And so the main character is doing everything he can to, you know, staple every uh, tree, you know, every light in place and has his son helping. And so the, the, the house looks beautiful at one point, and it looks uh, like this. I think I have a picture of the house... Um, and so he, he comes through and he goes, every light is just perfectly placed. He checks them all, uh, you know, a thousand times, whatever. Uh, and so it looks great. And, and then there's a scene where he can't quite figure it out. Uh, and it shoots, you know, it, it cuts us to uh, the garage where all of these are plugged in. And the solution looks like this. So it looks beautiful on the outside. And on the inside you have what I'm going to call a sort of solution. It looks amazing from the outside, and on the inside, there's a sort of solution. I think that there's times in our life that we have sort of solutions. Uh, it's, you know, maybe humorous to see in a movie, but let me tell you about just a few of them. Sadie couldn't get a job because she doesn't have a car, but she can't get a car if she doesn't have a job, so she settles for a job that she can walk to. But the problem is the job doesn't pay nearly enough to e even cover her rent, let alone save for a car. It's a solution, sort of. Have you ever had a sort of solution in your life? There's uh, another person, Mark. Mark's doctor uh, prescribes a drug to, to solve the initial problem he came in for. Uh, but although that problem solved, it causes another one that now needs to be medicated. And after solution, after solution, after solution, soon he has a medicine cabinet full of drugs he can barely afford anymore. It's a solution, sort of. It's a sort of solution. Jack and his wife need to reconnect, and he knows if I just work hard enough, then we'll have time. But the irony is, they'll never have time if he won't stop working so hard. It's a solution. They have food on the table. It's a sort of solution. Have you ever had a sort of solution before? I think that Christmas has a way of bringing out these sort of solutions in our life. You know, we get to this uh, part of the year and we realize the duct tape we've been using to hold together our lives, you know, our lives in certain areas that uh, we get to this time and then money isn't going as far as we thought it would for our Christmas gifts and holiday meals. We get here and, and as we get some time away from school, more time with the family, we realize that we've let some things slip and our relationships aren't what we hoped that they would be. We don't have as much control over that tendency that we thought that we did. Your, your weight isn't what you wanted to be. You didn't accomplish what you wanted to this year. And you're hoping as you look to the new year, you're saying, I need something better. Have you ever used a sort of solution before? And as the new year comes, you say, I need something 
better. Well, in the Bible, the, the, the people of God in the Old Testament can relate. At, at this point, in, in the, the point where Jesus comes in the New Testament, right, this Christmas story, they lived through thousands of years of sort of solutions. Since the garden where the fracture took place, where we decided to be God instead of serve God, where the, the agreement was made that our role in this was follower, not leader, and we decided to break said agreement, fracturing this relationship with God. Since then, uh, we, we've just come out with sort of solution after sort of solution uh, between God and us, and from building arcs to writing on tablets to tabernacles of canvas to temples of stone, sacrifices of goods and sacrifices of animals, corrupt kings partial prophets, and even the Torah itself was only as helpful as our ability to follow it. Things that were helpful, but were not fully solving this gap between us and God, they were sort of solutions. And in a very real way, we hear down the echo of the halls of history, these people saying the same thing that we are, we need something better. Have you ever had a sort of solution? Jesus, help us. Lord, help us find something better. Amen. So... This predicament that we can find ourselves often is exactly what the, the author of the book of Hebrews is addressing. And you can turn to Hebrews if you'd like. Uh, we, we're going to skim around a little bit. And this is my, the, the, the precursor to everything tonight. What you should do is read the book of Hebrews. Uh, what you should do, you know, let's talk tonight, uh, and then I hope you can find time uh, this week. Uh, total, it takes about 45 minutes if you did it in one sitting. So if you break that up over, you know, a week, whatever that math ends up being, a couple minutes a day, uh, just getting through the book of Hebrews, I really believe sets us up for this Christmas season in a really magnificent way. But, but this is the predicament that, that he's addressing in the book of Hebrews, and something important to understand about the book of Hebrews uh, comes in this concept of a hyperlink. Have you ever been on like Wikipedia or, or some, you know, news source or whatever and you see every few words or a few sentences, there's usually a, a word or a phrase that's underlined and it's, it's blue? You know what I'm talking about? So you're reading an article and then all of a sudden, you know, you see, uh, you know, you don't know uh, or, or it talks about a character or a person uh, or an event and it's hyperlinked, right? Because it's going to take you to something that gives you more context about the thing itself. So rather than writing a whole other, you know, article about said thing in uh, that, you know, the first thing that you're reading, it's going to take you to get more context uh, of what you're reading. So Hebrews is full of hyperlinks. As a matter of fact, the entire Bible is full of hyperlinks. There was a graphic that was made uh, that uh, I think we have on the screens here in just a moment. This graphic represents all of the hyperlinks in the Bible. Each of these bottom lines uh, represents a verse, and uh, the length of the lines that you see on top uh, are uh, respective to the amount of times that it is hyperlinked or referenced in another place of the Bible. So as you look through the 66 books written over thousands of years uh, by tens of authors, uh, you have over 63,000 hyperlinks in the Bible when they say something, referencing something else. 
And so this is important when you read the book of Hebrews because it's full of, uh, of words, phrases, stories, uh, scripture references that are triggering things in the, the, the listeners uh, that are, are bigger than just what it's saying. It actually says at the end of uh, the book of Hebrews, it says, this is just a brief explanation of these things. So after 13 chapters, he says, oh, this is just a brief, you know, uh, a summary of, of these events and such. And so it's full of these hyperlinks. If you have uh, a paper Bible, a lot of times at the bottom, they have, you know, notes and contexts and things where scripture references. I counted mine uh, when I was reading through this. And in the 13 chapters, only what the NIV, you know, uh, and scripture, the, the purple Bible that we give away uh, here often had 63 in the 13 chapters, it's full of all these cross-references, and it's important as we look at this uh, because it gives context to what he's actually saying, the same way Wikipedia might have some things uh, with a blue underline. And it makes it clear that the audience he's speaking to has a context for the references that he's about to make. And so these sort of solutions, I will tell you, I cannot in a sermon tell you how to, to have a, a better light show around your house and fix the sort of solution in your garage. I can't tell you, uh, you know, how to, to make your wrapping paper go a little bit farther. But I think that the author of Hebrews can address some of the sort of solutions that we turn to when it comes to our relationship with God. Because they're numerous. The sort of solutions that we come up with uh, to, to bridge this gap that we feel intrinsically and know factually uh, exists between the divine and our reality, that there's something missing, that we just come up with these sort of solutions like plug-in into plug-in into plug-in and hope that the lights work. But chapters 1 through 10 of Hebrews, the author graciously pulls apart some of the sort of solutions when it comes to our relationship with God. And it all hinges on how we see Jesus. If you have the Hebrews open, and just the opening verses, we're not even going to get much further than this in terms of what we actually read together. So let me read this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the powerful word after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. What a beautiful passage. I mean, just what a beautiful moment. We could sit here all night and just pick apart this passage alone. Like Jesus, he talks about how Jesus is to God as the rays of sunlight are to the sun. He's the radiance of God. It says he's the perfect imprint of God. So Jesus is to the seal as the signet ring is. As, as, as the, uh, Jesus is to God as the seal is to the signet ring. That he's the impression of God made visible for you and for me. It's beautiful. And I don't think that we have much disagreement about that. If you identify as a Christian, uh, we say, absolutely. But where the disconnect goes uh, is like uh, when reality creeps in, 
we start to pull out our duct tape, our spiritual duct tape, and come up with these solutions of our own. We say, I know it's true, Jesus is God, and, and so the author of Hebrews starts with this, and then he starts to address the ants. So he says, this is true, we all know it's true, but let's talk about these sort of solutions. And I think that there's three that he really ties in on for you and for me. Sort of solution number one. Me plus Jesus plus a strategy. There's never been a time where, um, you know, I'm sorry, Pastor Philip, would you give me some water? I just, I hate to ask you to do something like that, but I'm about to sound like a frog here in a second. The winter just is, it rocks like that. But sort of solution number one, me plus Jesus plus a strategy. Online courses have never been so hot. Uh, I don't know if you get the clickbait that I do uh, where it says, you know, it's five steps to uh, a better career, 10 steps to a better marriage, uh, you know, the three secrets that they don't want you to know about, thank you, about your coaching business, whatever it is. God bless you, Pastor Philip. Everyone's like, I like listening to him so much more now. No, but it, like, it, and it plays to our need for a better solution now. And so, uh, but, and, and we buy into it. It's purchasable because it's a, it's a promise of a solution to the problem we have. We say, well, this is perfect because all I need is the right plan. The only thing that separates me from my goals, my dreams, my aspirations, my wants is, is just having the right uh, plan in place. And so uh, this is exactly what he talks about in the first thing. The first thing Hebrews compares Jesus to are the angels. And here's where those hyperlinks become important. Because in Jewish tradition, it was believed uh, that their, their interpretation of Deuteronomy 33 was that the Torah was delivered to Moses by angels. Intro, the plan. So they have the, the Ten Commandments, uh, the, the law, uh, delivered by angels to them, uh, which now, they say, if we want to please God, we do X, Y, and Z, and then we did it. We go X, Y, Z, and then we, we've honored God, and so let's just stick to the plan. We have the plan. So we do the same thing, whether it's, you know, the Bible, which we do. Sometimes we deify the Bible. We worship the Bible, and we say, okay, if I just now look at the Bible as a self-help book, and I look at is the 10 steps to a better marriage, the five steps to a better life, and we start to, uh, to turn it into this process, we go me plus Jesus plus a strategy. That's sort of solution number one, and, and it's, it's a partial solution. God gave us, like, let me just be clear, though, that even God giving us the law is an act of grace. Like, he had no business even offering us a means to relate with him at all. But he still offers us the law, and he still gives us that. But, but later in Romans, Paul says this. What shall we say then in, in Romans 7, 7? Uh, that the law is sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law didn't say, you shall not covet. So it was, uh, it's a solution, but it was never intended to be the full solution. So the first thing that the author of Hebrews says and comes against is the, the sort of solution of me plus Jesus plus a strategy. 
He goes on in chapters three and four to address sort of solution number two. Me plus Jesus plus a leader. So in Hebrews 3, he brings us our second candidate for the solution, Moses. So he talks about how Moses built something. Moses built a a tabernacle. Moses led the people to the promised land. And so I think sometimes we can do the same thing. We say, well, if it's not the right strategy, it's the right person. Man, I love listening to Pastor James' sermons. He just, he tells me what God says. Man, I love being in so-and-so's life group. They tell me what God says. I love sitting across the table from Rick Lehman. He tells me what God says. And, and what we do there is we become uh, this, this codependent relationship or we uh, create this system in our own life where somebody else hears from God and we actually start exporting or putting the responsibility to hear from God on somebody else. So now it's not up to me, it's up to somebody else and I don't have to take the blame if I do something wrong in my life because it was them. And so we say me plus Jesus plus a leader. And don't get me wrong, they needed Moses. God used Moses. But he was never intended to be the full solution. And then he talks about the sort of solution, number three, me plus Jesus plus religion. And so we get into this mode, and so having a leader is not wrong. Follow, like the, the, the uh, creation of, the, of Christendom, of being a Christian, involves leading one another and being under leadership, not wrong. Having a plan, reading the Bible, not wrong. Both of those are very right things to do. Also, religion, the right thing to do. We, there's this whole like, oh man, I don't like religion. It's like, no, I watch Survivor religiously. I hope I read my Bible religiously. Like, I, I'm not willing to be religious about drinking coffee if I'm not religious about praying. Like, I'm okay being a little bit religious. But we say it's me plus Jesus plus religion. And so uh, we start, because then the author starts addressing sacrifices, rituals, priests, the process. And so we say, I'm going to sacrifice too. I'm going to bring my talent. I'm going to just, uh, I'm going to serve God in, in the church and outside. I'm going to bring my time. I'm going to give my time to the less fortunate and to the house of God, to the people of God. I'm going to give my treasure. I'm going to look at my bank account and I'm, I'm going to give and I'm going to sacrifice. And, and it might be because we think that we're good Christians, we're good people, but under it there's a bit of shame that we just hope we can cover up uh, for, for our own inadequacies or insecurities. It, we just go, I, I just need to sacrifice enough to show God that I was worth it. I was worth the cross. Now I'm here to help you, Jesus. We go, me plus Jesus plus religious plus religion. And so the author of Hebrews here is hyperlinking to this concept of a priest. And the most important duty of the high priest was to conduct the service of the Day of Atonement. Only he was allowed to enter the most holy place behind the veil to stand before God, having made a sacrifice for himself and for the people. He then brought the blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled it on the mercy seat, God's throne. He did this to make atonement for himself and the people for all the sins committed during the last year that just ended. 
period. So this priest, the high priest, would be a representative, uh, representative of God to the people and the people to God. And so, uh, you know, his relationship with God through the structure that was created in the, the hierarchy of, of uh, uh, throughout the law, his relationship to God, representing God to the people, but also in this very important day, he represents the people to God. He's making atonement or, or making right the relationship with, again, from the people to God with this sacrifice. And so uh, it, it talks about how this priest is a representative of the people to God. And, and, and so we go, Jesus plus me plus religion. It's a sort of solution. And they needed the priest. And they needed Moses. And they needed the law. And we need the Bible. We need a plan. We need leaders. We need a little religion. But we need a better way. Because all of these sort of solutions that we use, when we make the plan the main thing, the person the main thing, when we make our religious duties the main thing, I don't know about you, but they actually make me feel farther from God. It's um, almost like when we walk across the parking lot, uh, we have little kids. I'm sure if you've heard me preach, they're often in, uh, you know, uh, sermons. If you've seen us, they're often on our backs. Uh, They are just a big part of our life. Uh, So we have a three-year-old and a -a one-and-a-half-year-old. And going across the parking lot can be a dangerous thing. So we have the rule that, you know, everyone else pretty much has. You hold hands, right? And so... Olivia, our three-year-old, loves her teddy bear. And so sometimes she wants to play or or offers the solution. Says, Dad, here's what we should do. I'll hold teddy bear's hand. You hold teddy bear's other hand. We're all holding hands, right? And so you hold teddy bear. I hold teddy bear. And we're good. Now, we all know teddy bear does not have much holding capacity. He has neither um, opposable thumbs, fingers, or is an animated object. He's, he's not very good at being this bridge from me to my daughter. There's not a lot of safety uh, when she holds teddy bear's hand to hold my hand. But we put these little teddy bears between us and God. And we say, if I just hold on to this person hard enough, if I just hold on to this plan hard enough, if I just hold on to this structure hard enough, then, then, then I'm safe, right? Then I have this relationship with the Father. I have this, this gap is bridged and I'm good. I'll be safe going across the parking lot. I'm safe when I walk into my workplace. I'm safe when I go home. I'm safe in my relationships. I'm safe when it comes to, to this relationship with God. But it doesn't quite work like this. Me plus Jesus plus plan. No, me plus Jesus plus leader. No, me plus Jesus plus religion. And I'm not saying these things are bad. I'm just saying they're incomplete. What I love about this book, this book of Hebrews, is that it shows us the broken partial solutions to give context to just how good those opening words really are. To bring you back to what we had just read in in verse 3 of chapter 1, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being 
sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Where it starts uh, comparing uh, Jesus to, to the angels, Jesus to the Torah, Jesus to the structure, to the strategy. Jesus comes as the word made flesh. Jesus comes as not only the person that came to to accomplish the law, he comes to do it perfectly. He comes to follow every law perfectly. He comes, he could have sinned, but didn't. Jesus came as a human, as a real human. It says over and over in the book of Hebrews, it keeps on pointing back to this fact. It's like, no, Jesus didn't just come as, as God pretending to do this right. He didn't come like Einstein trying to do third grade math. Like, he's actually a human. Jesus had the potential to sin, the ability to sin, the temptation to sin, but he chose not to. Jesus came, uh, not like the angels or like the Torah, but he came as the better law. Jesus came as, as the better Moses, where it compares Jesus to Moses and the promised land, where, Jesus, where Moses was a leader of people to a better destiny that was physical. Jesus is a leader uh, to a, a better destiny that is eternal, that is immaterial, uh, where Moses built a tabernacle uh, made of canvas. Jesus built a temple made out of people. Jesus comes. And this author continues to compare and uses this this rhetoric, this style of argument uh, to say, no, it's not this, it's this. You thought it was the Torah, but it's actually Jesus. You thought it was Moses, it's actually Jesus. You thought it was the promised land, it's actually Jesus. You thought it was angels, it's actually Jesus. And he goes on to talk about the priests. And, and he says, you know, the, like Jesus stood as the representative of the people to God and God of the people, that, that changes the way we see the cross, that now both God and people are meeting on the cross of Jesus, that we see God's love and wrath right there colliding between these two, that we see Jesus hanging as us for our sins, atoning like that scripture just said, for us. He's the ultimate priest king Jesus comes and he's he's the fulfillment of the partial solution the solution that was always intended to be the sort of solution and then it goes on through chapters 8 through 10 to talk about the sacrifices and the covenant and Jesus is the perfect spotless sacrifice where all of the other sacrifices were limited and only lasted a year, Jesus comes as a sacrifice that lasts throughout eternity. That Jesus, instead of needing to have somebody else die every year, Jesus died once for all. He comes as the perfect sacrifice. What could never happen through the law, what could never happen through Moses, what could never happen through angels, what could never happen through sacrifices, what could never happen through priests, what could never happen through any structure. Because you know why it could never happen? 
why it will never happen so long as the, 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 the equation is me plus Jesus plus strategy or me plus Jesus uh, plus religion or me plus Jesus plus a leader is because even if I cut out all those factors and, and I say, sure, the leader is not my salvation, the strategy is not my salvation, uh, the, the uh, religion is not my salvation, it's still me plus Jesus and as long as I'm part of the equation, the solution is still imperfect. If I say it's me plus Jesus equals this bridge from me to God. But I know I'm not perfect. And I hope you know you're not perfect. So as long as I'm part of this equation, it's not really going to fully work. And that's why Christmas matters. Because after thousands of years of sort of solutions, thousands of years of showing that man has no ability to fulfill what needs to be fulfilled in order to bridge this gap, God sends us a baby who can. That this manger represents God coming through on his promise. That all these hyperlinks are from, it's not just from the New Testament to the Old, it's from the Old Testament to the New. That all throughout the Old Testament, he's saying uh, that there's a shortcoming, but something better is coming. From the opening chapters of Genesis, he already promises a solution. He already promises, uh, he, as he's giving curses in Genesis 3 for our own sin against God, as we egregiously uh, decide to fracture our relationship, even in the curse, he says, but there's somebody coming later that even though, snake, you're going cru- to bruise his heel, he's going to crush your head. There's hyperlinks all through scripture promising something better. And this manger is God coming through on those promises. Sending himself as a man. And as I said, it's important that we realize that Jesus was actually a man. Because the same way a teddy bear can't bridge the gap between my daughter and me, and I can't bridge the gap between me and God. In order to have a bridge, you really need three things. You need something strong for the bridge to go over on one side, something strong for the bridge to go on the other, and something strong enough to carry somebody to cross. So we have God, who's clearly strong enough on his side, reaching to us all throughout the Old Testament without something that can be built upon. So there's structures and systems, and it's all, it is, even in the times where, where we feel like it's hardcore, even God's law is mercy to us. Rather than him snapping his fingers and obliterating the human race for all eternity, He gives us chance after chance, and the Old Testament is full of us messing up, falling short, um, not keeping our end of the covenant, uh, doing this, that, and the other, but he keeps on extending his part of the bridge. So the part uh, of the bridge that's on God's side is strong. He keeps extending to us, but we don't even have the ability to reach back out to God. And so this manger is God saying the only solution is a human with the ability to reach back out to me. So he didn't come 
faking it like a human. He came as a real human with the potential and ability to sin, but at every turn where he could have, he chose not to. Creating in himself, it says uh, in Hebrews 2, a new humanity. He's a new Adam that he comes and where Adam turned inwardly choosing to be God, he uh, he chose to look externally to God himself, giving glory to God in every way. And so as God's strong on this side and his bridge is strong enough, Jesus comes to establish a new humanity on this side and we have a a perfect God and now a, a perfect man that this bridge is made complete. And this cross almost visually has one hand with humanity and one hand with God. And when we look at Jesus, we realize that the sort of solution I came up with looks more like a teddy bear than a God on a cross. That it could never bridge the gap I've been trying to use it to bridge. And it could never actually do what I need it to do, but but this is what the manger is all about. The manger is God giving us a better Adam. One who's going to choose himself. Is God giving us a better Torah, fully fulfilled? Is God giving us a better Moses who's going to guide us to the ultimate promised land? He's giving us a better promised land, a better eternity. He's giving us a better priest who's going to advocate for us with God, reconciling us to God because he's a better sacrifice. He's giving us a better covenant where we now have a, a, a relationship with God that Jesus, our high priest, instead of going into the veil and having just a relationship with God, when he was on on the cross, the veil tore, so now we can have an unhindered relationship with God through him. That's what the manger is all about. Jesus made the immaterial material. He made the unknowable, in so many ways, knowable. And Jesus informs and defines our view of who God is. If you wouldn't mind standing with me as we sort of conclude this moment together. I, I love this quote. And I, I know I've said it before, uh, it, but I'll just say it again because I love it so much. N.T. Wright says this. My proposal is not that we understand what the word God means and manage to somehow fit Jesus into that. Instead, I suggest that we think historically about a young Jew possessed of a desperately risky, indeed apparently crazy vocation, riding into Jerusalem in tears, denouncing the temple and dying on a Roman cross. And that we take our courage in both hands and allow our meaning of the word God to be recentered around that point. That for us, Jesus is not only God revealed, but he, to us, gives us a context for which we now see God. That God is not just uh, a giver of structures and, and, and laws, even though that is in his mercy. He's the provider of the sacrifice that's needed. He's the fulfiller of those laws that, that God decided, God God humbled himself to the extent beyond his overall humility to make himself known at all to us. He came as a 
real human. He endured every temptation you or I face at the same level you or I face it, with the same ability to sin as you or I have and decided not to. And this Jesus is God made flesh. He's the better solution to whatever we've been using to bridge that gap. And here's why it matters. It says in Hebrews 2.10, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Because of Jesus' life and Jesus' sacrifice, he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. If God had not become human, we would still be waiting for a better solution. And we'd be living with these sort ofs and making do with, with plug-in after plug-in to try and light our house. We would be making do with, with uh, medication after medication trying to cure our pain. We would be having all of these sort of solutions, but God said, I'm going to make a solution once and for all, and it's going to be me, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to live, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. And both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are now of the same family. And he's not ashamed to call his brothers and sisters. Lord, thank you. God, thank you. Right now, God, we just evaluate some of the the sort of solutions that we've been using even uh, on accident. Lord, the ways that we've been adding things in to our faith, that we've decided that uh, it's going to be you plus something else. And God, you blow every other thing out of the water. Lord, we walk away from our time in your word realizing you are the only solution, the only hope for us to really have a relationship with God, for us to really have an eternity that isn't in in an abyss of far away from you. God, you're the only hope. Jesus, you're the only hope. And so we choose again, or even for the first time, to turn away from any of the other solutions that we've tried and say it's you and you alone. 